Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week, we are joined by our Central Region lead pastor, Nathan Payne. And we get to talk with him about Romans 4, 13 to 25, seasons of doubt, and the listener question, how have you been intentional about shaping the faith of your kids? Let's dive in. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Nathan Payne. Nathan, thanks for joining us. We have been asking our guest pastors what their favorite city restaurant is. Hey, my favorite restaurant, without a doubt, is Monami Gabi at Lincoln Park West. It's <laughs> a wonderful restaurant that has a great memory for both my wife and I. We've gone there on our anniversary for a number of years, and Aww. it's just a special place that we go to. It's like one of our our spots. Yeah, love nice. the food and. Man, do I love the company. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name again? Could you say that again? Mon Amiga B. Mon Amiga B. I've never heard of that, but it sounds wonderful. What kind of food is it? Oh, it's French. French bistro. Oh, so okay. good. So good. That does sound good. Okay. All right. So, Nate, you preached at uh, Lincoln Park and Near North this past weekend. Yep, that's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you give us a quick recap of your sermon? Sure. So, the basic sermon was the as Paul's been opening throughout the opening part of Romans, talking about how righteousness of God only comes through faith. It's really, it takes this passage to use the life of Abraham to actually demonstrate how faith is lived out and expressed uh, through Abraham's life and how he interacted and trusted in God and uh, gives us a bit of a model uh, for how we can do the same thing. So I'm sure you did a lot of research for your sermon. What didn't make it into the final cut? Yeah, there's so much. Uh, this is a very rich passage, as you can imagine, uh, as we say the word. But uh, some of the things that stuck stuck out to me, particularly uh, one of the themes was how Paul very particularly is, as I said, making this example of Abraham. And he says some pretty strong words uh, of Abraham, things like uh, he believed against hope. Uh, he says in verse 18, says in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. Uh, no unbelief made him waver. This is all in verse 20. His faith grew, he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God in 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And these are all pretty strong uh, words and descriptions of Abraham's faith. But as we read Actually, the story of Abraham, man, there's some things that happened in his life that just seemed like they didn't necessarily add up to this description of his faith. And frankly, I think it was, uh, for me, helpful to think around this and the idea of how we as followers of Jesus or those wrestling with the claims of Christ uh, deal with our doubts and our questions and how they intersect with faith or not. Hmm. So I listened to you preach this weekend. It was great to hear you up there again, especially fun for me as you referenced something in your sermon that little people would catch on to and enjoy as much as I did. But for our listeners out there, a fun fact, Nathan and I actually went to the same small university in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Um, and as part <laughs> of that story, you shared that you got a letter, a dreaded letter that I'm sure many of us have received where you owe the university some money. And you don't know where that money is coming from and just kind of the dread and doubt that you start to have. And so for you as a college student, um, the emotions and feelings you must have had 
doubting God's plan for you and being there. How have those changed over time? And how have you wrestled with your doubts and seen the way that you change your perspective as you go through hard times? Sure. That's a great question. And for the record, I went to Cedarville University in Ohio. (laughs) Go Yellow Jackets. Don't get stung. Very, very intimidating. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So yeah, Cedarville, great, great, fantastic school. So glad that God gave me the privilege to go there. Uh, Really had some formative experiences and relationships that have shaped my life to this day, never knowing I would have been a pastor at the time, but hey, here I am. Yeah, what did you study at Cedarville? <laughs> I studied nursing at Cedarville. So I le- finished with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and practiced for about 13 years before becoming a pastor. So to answer your question, uh, you know, I can remember in those moments, particularly getting that letter, that basically I was going to have to leave and move back home. And I didn't have any way of knowing how things were going to work out. And, and frankly going through that experience where God miraculously provided through someone anonymously who I didn't know, uh, someone who essentially paid my bill that I was unable to pay on my own, I think that really forged and fortified my faith. And I think sort of in the story of Abraham, how as he goes through different experiences, I think the idea where, uh, particularly in verse 20, chapter 4, where it says his faith became stronger. Um, I think it was probably through him seeing God show up that it wasn't that Abraham made his faith stronger. It was that he saw God uh, at times just come through in the ways that only God could. And so it strengthened his confidence that God would do for him what he couldn't do for himself. And in a real way, that's been that's been the story of my life. Yeah. So, Nate, have there been seasons— um... Have there been seasons in your life where doubt is something that maybe you felt a little bit more wrestling with God um, over a particular thing? And and kind of how have you how have you wrestled with that in that season? Certainly one season that comes to mind is when my wife and I felt compelled to move into a really challenging neighborhood in the city of Chicago. And we felt that God wanted us there. And Along with that, we'd had some friends who moved into the same neighborhood, and we moved into a house that had been occupied by followers of Jesus. And so we we had this sense that the place itself was a, a bit of a beacon, uh, a light in the neighborhood, and uh, meant to be a presence and uh, demonstrating the love and the grace of, of God through us being there. And I'll, I'll never forget the day we moved in. This is like an hour or two after everyone who had helped us move in after he left. The house across the street got set on fire <gasps> by someone in the neighborhood, oh, and wow. that was the first. That was the first day. And as you know, all of the neighborhoods gathered around, looking at this house that's burning. The fire trucks are there. For my wife and I, there was this sense of like, whoa. Did we hear God <laughs> on this or not? And really, uh, that the next seven years really were a season of us having experience after experience where we just questioned whether we heard God, whether God was hearing us, whether He mm-hmm. was presently active in the midst of situation after situation from... Um, from literally having bullets go through our home mm. with our kids there to, 
you know, having my wife nearly hit by a brick that was thrown at her through our front window to mm-hmm. literally having to clean up the blood off of, of off of our porch from someone who had been shot. And we really wrestled with whether uh, God had us there or he had led us there if we just missed it. And were, was God leading us there? And we, we just did not hear him correctly. And I think one of the bigger things for us was we were really wrestling with this idea of like, God, are you actually using us here? Are you mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. making any measurable, meaningful difference in the lives of people Mm-hmm. You've called us to this place. And uh, that was a question, and to some extent, probably a question we still wrestle with um, mm-hmm. as God, in his providence, moved us to a different part of the city. Um, but as we look back, you know, we sort of have asked God, you know, what was it that you were doing? You know, mm-hmm. why did you leave us, leave, lead us there? Why did you lead us there? And what was your purpose mm-hmm. and your plan? And ultimately, we trust that. He had us there for his purposes and that he was using us in ways even when we couldn't see it. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Nate. Uh, maybe another question around that same topic of doubt. Because um, <clears throat> you know, I think sometimes we can approach that conversation or that subject with, with sort of the thought that um, if I was strong in my faith, if, if I'm strong as a follower of Christ, and I'm not going to have doubt. And so if I'm struggling with this, then then that means there's some sort of flaw with my faith. There's some flaw in, in me as a follower of Christ when that's not necessarily the case. And doubt's something we all experience and, and wrestle with. And uh, it can even be beneficial for our faith, though it's not an easy thing. Um, and I know that as a pastor, you've helped a lot of people who are in a lot of different circumstances, doubt being one of them. And so could you speak to that a little bit of just um, what are some of the ways that you've walked with people through their own experiences of doubt? Yeah, I think that um, for many of us, the idea of doubt and faith seem like they don't coincide, that they don't mix together. And, you know, that's where I love this story of Abraham because, mm-hmm. you know, Paul, when he uses the example of Abraham, he's not using Abraham in some idealistic way. Paul knows that everyone is well aware that mm-hmm. Abraham breaks down, sells his, tries to get rid of his wife so he doesn't get killed, uh, marries a second wife to have a baby, then tries to, you know, pass off his wife as his sister and lets another king have her again. This is mm-hmm. after, and this is through all the promises that uh, it says that Abraham actually believed God. And so yeah. I think the there's a, a fallacy, almost fatal fallacy for us if we if we have a mindset that to have faith means that I have, I don't have any questions, I don't have any hesitations, or you know, I never wrestle with mm-hmm. uh, that which I don't know. And I think, uh, rather, Abraham's story and his faith is commendable because the strength of his faith rested not in Abraham's strength, but in the strength of the person to in whom he was trusting. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think it was so it's so freeing and comforting to be able to. Uh, have mm-hmm. a faith that actually can withstand mm-hmm. the questions, you know, our Christianity following Jesus, our God, our Father, He can handle all of the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the example of Abraham, we see even the fact that Abraham acted on some of the things that he wasn't quite sure about. And some mm-hmm. of those things led to disastrous consequences, if we could just be really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, God was faithful. Uh, God came through, mm-hmm. God showed up, and Abraham's faith w- strength was fortified. Um, Abraham's faith was fortified, and ultimately it was fortified because uh, 
the God in whom he trusted was the one who was able to sustain him and uh, come through. And so that's where, for me, as I have pastored a number of people from uh, the loss of a child to the breakdown of a marriage to a life of being rejected or not having uh, someone in their life that they feel is for them uh, to going through sickness, sadness. Um, I mean, at this point, I think I've, you know, sat across the the table or talked with and been alongside of a number of all of the most horrible experiences that life throws at people. Mm -hmm. And, and at the end of the day, one of the comforting things is that God's promises are true and Mm -hmm. they don't change based on how we feel in the moment. Uh, They don't change based on if we're wrestling with them in the moment, his promises are set. Those are clear. Those are true. And, uh, and even, you know, the fact that he will, uh, he's stronger than our doubts. Mm-hmm. He's stronger than our questions. And yeah. he'll always come through for us. Was there anything else that got cut from your sermon? So another thing that in part of the message where I didn't get to spend as much time on it that I think could have been a whole, uh, another message in of itself was how Abraham was described um, as the father of many nations. Mm-hmm. And... From Genesis chapter 12, from Genesis chapter 12, when God first gives that promise to Abraham, he says, hey, in you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And then in Genesis uh, 15 and then Genesis 17, particularly, Abraham is called the father of many nations. And I think uh, just the idea that at the beginning of that blessing, that it was intended, that God's intention that was that he would ultimately uh, bring all the nations uh, to uh, glorify him, to know him, mm-hmm. the all bless all the people groups of the earth. And it sort of reminds me, it kind of that leap through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus, right? In the end mm-hmm. of Matthew 28, uh, he says, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. And then you jump to mm-hmm. uh, Revelation and you have every nation, tongue, and tribe gather around the throne, Jesus and his exalted glory. And I just think that that storyline of the nations that for many times as we're thinking about this, the storyline of the Bible, we don't see, uh, we, we might miss that if we're not looking very carefully, but it's there. It's there from the beginning uh, mm-hmm. in Genesis all the way through uh, when Jesus arrives, uh, when uh the church uh, is birthed and uh, sent uh, to be mm-hmm. witness, and then at the end of the book. And so one of the things that was just leaping off the page to me was how that promise, uh, God's unchanging promise, it would be for the nations and that we're a part of that. A matter of fact, as a people group, as different people groups, uh, most of us listening to this podcast, uh, my guess is that uh, we were uh, we we are part of the nations uh, of whom uh, mm-hmm. who share in the faith of Abraham. Uh, then we mm-hmm. trusting in uh, God's unchanging promise, and mm. uh, and you know the joy that uh, Abraham was credited as righteous, not because he had done anything, not because he had lived up to God's righteous law and and standard. It was the gift of grace that God granted mm-hmm. to him that he received by faith, and so do we as we look back at uh, what Jesus has done for us and ultimately looking to that 
day when everything is consummated, when all the languages and people groups of the earth who have trusted in Jesus will gather around the throne and sort of get to see that living expression Mm -hmm. of God's promise from the very beginning of the book uh, that is now demonstrated in the very end. So Mm -hmm. that to me was super exciting, but I didn't get to preach on that (laughs) too much. So as we're sort of wrapping up season two of The Pastor's Cut, taking a break in Romans as we dive into Advent, we've really gone really deep into the first four chapters of Romans. Was there anything that you studied over these chapters that has really impacted you? Yeah, I'll just have, I'll I'll readily admit as over this first four chapters and uh, we titled sort of the theme of this whole aspect, the vast separation, which is just indicative Mm -hmm. of the indictment that we all share in this cosmic gap between us and God and his righteousness and holiness. And it's just so profoundly uh, just hit me. Um, I've heard this, preached it, taught Mm -hmm. it, counseled it, but the reality that everything that we have has been given through what Christ has done for us and that mm-hmm. we receive it by faith, that there's nothing that we can do to earn his righteousness, that we're justified by uh, God's gracious work as we receive it by faith. And that, I mean, that's just the most profound message uh, on our planet. I mean, I think mm-hmm. in our cultural moment, uh, in the moments of the polarization that we're facing, the moments that we're uh, wrestling with in a division in our families and workspaces and all that sort of the world is uh, the raucous of what's happening in the context of the world. The message of the gospel still to me remains the most powerful message mm-hmm. that can transform the lives of people, cities and a nation in the world. Yeah. What about you, Hillary? Well, as Nathan said, Romans is a book that I've studied a lot. I think the first verse I ever memorized was Romans 3.23. So to go through this book chapter by chapter and verse by verse just served as a really great reminder that we are saved through grace. And it's not our works, our own accord, but through the grace of God. And I feel like this is what truly sets us apart from other world religions. And Nathan, you mentioned that in your sermon this week too, of how that really, um, it just makes Christianity so different. But also what's been really helpful for me the past few chapters is to just be reminded that doubt is normal. And to hear the example of men like Abraham this week and last week, Jackson used the example of David. And these are two men from the Bible, two heroes from the Bible that struggled with doubt and had sin of their own, just like all of us. And to see how God was able to use them in such powerful ways. So to just, again, be reminded that doubt is something that can come up even with believers and to know that, um, that God can still use us and work through that. So Trevor, what has stood out to you over the past four chapters? Yeah, I'd say for me the um, the uh, the whole piece about I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power mm-hmm. of God for salvation, uh, in chapter one verses sixteen and seventeen, and even seeing that as the thesis to to kind of almost like write down and keep keep by your side as you're reading through the rest of the book, mm-hmm. and so just have that in mind as we're as we've gone through the rest of chapter one, uh, and chapter two and three and four, and seeing that you know Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, but then he goes on to tackle all of these in- incredibly difficult subjects mm. and uh, talk about all these hard things. And yet in the midst of all of that, you, he never moves away from the, I'm not ashamed of this, this mess. I believe in this message. This message is like the only hope of the world. It's the most powerful message there is. Uh, and even though it confronts all of these difficulties, um, yeah, I'm not ashamed of it for that reason. 
Mm-hmm. So that's been really powerful uh, for me this past season. So it's been great. Yeah. All right. We, let's jump to our listener question. Uh, so Nate, this would be a good one for you um, on the one hand, because you've got a, the chance to have a lot of practice with this. Um, and uh, the other, on the other hand, because your role for a while was the family ministry pastor. So how have you been intentional about shaping the faith of your children? Hey, Trevor, that's a fantastic question. I get that question. I've gotten that question a number of times over the years. And quite honestly, I I love that question. Uh, Let me just first say that um, having grown up as a pastor's kid, Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I learned very clearly is that before I'm a pastor, I'm a husband and I'm a father. And my pastoring, by God's grace, hopefully is strengthened by my role as a husband, strengthened by my role as a father. Mm-hmm. And I often will tell other pastors in ministry or people in ministry, hey, I may not always be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I might mm-hmm. transition to a different role, retire, I don't know. But I'll always be husband as long as my mm-hmm. wife is living and I'm living, and I'll always be my kid's father. So that just gives a perspective yeah. in terms of priority. Yeah, you've told me that, and that it's been helpful. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, so some of the things that I believe have helped in help my kids in terms of just grow in their faith and understanding and uh, being for me to be intentional is one, I, I believe in praying for my kids, praying with my kids. Uh, that means to literally pray over them, pray with them, mm-hmm. uh, pray blessing over them, pray that, that they would uh, be given understanding of the gospel and understanding of who God is and what he's done for them. Um, reading the Word of God with them, mm. to them, mm-hmm. certainly has been a piece that's been helpful and I think important for us. Uh, some of the, uh, and those are kind of things that are very intentional and active things to do. What does um, that look like for you? Is it like bedtime? Is it dinner time? Um, yeah, for our family, that's looked like a couple rhythms. One mm-hmm. is we can we'll read at bedtime is often a, a time that we can read together Um Meal times also, particularly dinner time, we make it a uh, a habit to eat together, and after dinner we share some time around God's word. But then we also have a rhythm where we have one night of the week we call it family night. Typically, it's Friday night, and it's a time mm-hmm. where we set aside works in our rhythm because Friday is my day off mm-hmm. uh, to have some time to just enjoy one another, have fun together. Sometimes yeah. we'll uh, dance together and. <laughs> Uh, play games <laughs> together, uh, share some time in God's Word, and then we just have some rhythms like that that show up in our life. Yeah. I have heard about the Payne family dance parties. Yeah. It's a lot heard, of fun. Is, it, is it Valentine's Day that you all have, you have a dance party every year? We do a Valentine's Day dinner and dance party every year. What does yes. a person have to do to get in? Is that family only or is that, is it like? <laughs> I've been asking for an invite to a dance party for a while, so. <laughs> if you're living with us, you have gotten to participate. Okay. We haven't sent out any invites, but maybe we need to think about that. I also want to say there's some, in uh, what I won't call them intangible, but just some, some of the things that aren't necessary things you can schedule that I think are helpful for our kids' understanding of faith, and particularly for my kids. Mm-hmm. One is they need to see that the gospel is actually at work in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the most, I would say, the most vivid ways for them to see that is a little thing called an apology. Mm-hmm. When my kids experience dad saying, look, you know, which name my kid, where I've maybe 
been mm-hmm. harsh with them or been impatient or any other thing that maybe hurt their feelings. When I get down on my knees and I say to them, I have wronged you. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? Mm-hmm. For them to see that experience that dad needs forgiveness and that dad goes to God when he's sinned and goes to them, it gives them a tangible uh, picture of the the truth of the gospel, not just as a starting point, but as a way of life. And I think that's been helpful for my kids. I think if you talk to them, they would probably say something along the lines. And then I think too, um, to actually just love them and love life really well, to likely mm-hmm. actually enjoy life, yeah. uh, to enjoy uh, the uh, gifts that God has given, to uh, trust in Him, to let them see God show up in um, ministry and our needs. You know, oftentimes before I preach at home, my kids are the ones that are praying for me. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are laying their hands and praying for, mm-hmm. laying their hands on me and praying praying for me. Um, yeah. And then when we've had needs uh, as a family, we pray together about those things and then we get to celebrate and how God shows up and provides them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool that, that um, one of the things you mentioned is even being intentional about enjoying life. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you can be so focused on like problem solving and like getting through this season into the next season that, uh, yeah, you, you forget about joy. <laughs> Uh, but it is something that we can intentionally live into. And yeah, even just you saying that, I, I can see how when I'm more intentional in that way, it's good for my kids, good for my family. So that's a good word. All right, Nate, thanks for being with us. It's been great. Hey, you're welcome. It's been great to be on the podcast. Thank you guys for inviting me. And thanks to each of you who are listening right now. May God's grace and blessing be on you. Thanks for joining us on The Pastor's Cut. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, especially since it was our last episode for season two. As a reminder, we will be taking a break for Advent, but you can text Devo Sign Up to the number 22333 to receive an Advent devotional to your email. We will be back in January of 2020 for season three, so stay tuned for what's ahead. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll see you again in 2020.